Hello and welcome to Conversations Worth Millions, the podcast all about the business of conversational AI. We talk with the leading experts in voice, chat, messaging and emerging technology about the strategies and practical applications for business. In this episode, I talk to Paul Sweeney, EVP of Products, and Mark Opperman, EVP of Sales and Marketing for conversational middleware platform, Webio. It's a wide-ranging chat where we talk about opportunities and conversational for enterprise, automation post-COVID, and return on investment. They also give us their answer to the million-dollar question. Stay tuned. Hope you enjoy. Hello, and welcome to Conversations Worth Millions. Got two fascinating guests today to speak to. Really looking forward to this conversation. And they are none other than Paul Sweeney and Mark Opperman of conversational middleware platform, Webio. Hi, chaps. Hey, how are you doing? Hi, how are you? Very good, thanks. First question I've got to ask you, how has the last couple of months been for you guys? How has it been automation-wise? Great question. Um, it's been, uh, well, obviously, like everyone else in the world, uh, it, this all came down very, very suddenly. Um, but we were actually well prepared for this um, because of our process orientation. So we were able to pretty much work instantly from home. And um, everyone was like overnight working from home. And it was zero problems for us. And uh, as it turns out, it was zero problems for most of our customers, too bar one or two with special kind of uh, things they needed to get in place. So it was a remarkably quick change. And I think that in itself maybe is very telling for the future. Yeah, I tend to agree. We've seen the same on this side. The biggest challenge for people was you're great, you know, hosted, you can work in the cloud, you can work anywhere. But actually what I think the biggest challenge was companies didn't test to the level of everybody off-site. <laughs> I think uh, they probably tested five or six people. That works, tick the box, move on. Uh, so I think that was the initial challenge that most have overcome, just getting that level of access into their internal systems, just really to keep business uh, flowing, uh, business as usual. So I think that is probably the biggest challenge for most. But again, talking with most clients now, uh, that has been sort of uh, resolved and uh, it's not an issue anymore. Yeah, good to hear. We're hearing the same thing. Paul, so conversational middleware platform uh, is the description of Webio. What does that mean? Well, it basically means that um, we believe that as interactions move to messengers where people live, right? So every day you're in your WhatsApp, you have your WhatsApp groups, your WhatsApp for your sports team, your WhatsApp for your family. It's where your interaction is occurring. That gives you, as kind of an end user, an incredible amount of power because you can actually lock out people that you don't want to talk to. You can choose who you want to talk to. And companies had absolutely no way of interacting with you through that WhatsApp when, when we started this company. It was just not a thing that they could do. But we saw that there was going to be so many different types of messengers. There was WhatsApp, Facebook Messenger, Viber. Um, there's Line, there was Kick. There was, there was a whole bunch of them. And so our theory was that you're going to need a platform to abstract you away from all those individual messaging platforms um, that would keep you coherent across all of them. And that if you came in over like WhatsApp or SMS or Viber, we would know who you were on whatever platform you would come in on, whether or not there was an existing conversation and would be able to 
keep that as one continuous conversation across all those messengers and messaging. As the market then evolved into um, the voice first interfaces like uh, Alexa and, and Google Home and all the other assistants out there, that big companies were gonna need a way to keep all of this coherent across all the messaging, all the voice first, and then eventually all the, all the traditional um, messaging and conversational modes. So I guess the first thing that really struck us is you're going to need a way to be coherent across all those different channels. Um, you're going to need automation to help you do that. And you're going to need intelligence to help you do that better. That was it. I mean, I, I can actually uh, remember reading um, in 2016, Chris Messina had an article called 2016 will be the year of conversational commerce. And I remember reading it and just a light bulb going off in my head and going, this is absolutely what's going to happen. Now, things haven't panned out exactly like that, but they never do. They never pan out exactly like you think. But the theme of it is, is, is true. And, and it struck me that um, at, this, at the last time something struck me like that was back in 1999-2000 when um, I was working at a telco and I kind of realized that all software was going to go to the cloud. Um, and back then, that was just a kind of a lunatic assertion that <laughs> all software will be in the cloud. But yeah. I was absolutely convinced. And like in 2001, bang, I was in a startup for, uh, for so software as a service. And I think we're in the middle of that kind of level of 20-year disruption um, with all this kind of conversational AI stuff. Right. Fascinating. I remember that, that conversation with Chris Messina. Uh, about four years ago, wasn't it? Mm. And, um, so how far down that route of omni-channel are we, do you think? It's, it's kind of a strange one. When you talk to people about conversational AI and conversational tech, the thing that people kind of latch on to is the voice, um, like being able to speak to things and then understand you and speak back. It's kind of intuitively very attractive. But sneaking up the rear here was um, all the stuff to do with web chat and Web chat like, is, is like the low end kind of boring stuff that, you know, kind of, yeah, so what? It's kind of, sometimes it's useful, sometimes it's annoying, but it's kind of pervasive. It's everywhere. And it got me thinking that we're probably, while, <laughs> while everyone is, and I was aware of Grant's comment last week about the pizza example, <laughs> while everyone's think, thinking about the pizza, famous, you know, there's a like a couple of billion dollars in, AI, conversational AI, that's busy doing the translation work right now. So you've got this conversational cloud out there capable of doing all these real-time translations. And no one thinks about this huge translation business that's just going to get massively disrupted. So I think we tend to look at the kind of nice shiny objects and forget that sometimes, you know, the brass is in the muck. It's in the everyday stuff that we already do, that there's, there's going to be a huge amount of money um, made in it. And, and so I think that where we are is, I think um, messaging chat has grown like gangbusters. That's, that's really gone where you'd expect it to go. The voice tech is a little bit um, slower on the adoption curve, but the technology stack has evolved very, very, very quickly. So I think these will level up eventually. I think they'll meet in the middle, but one is definitely taken off at the enterprise level much, much faster than the other. How about you, Mark? That uh, the question was where where is it all at the moment? And it's quite interesting, actually. Um, again, 
more of my role would be engaging with uh, clients. And again, more of our clients would be, say, uh, medium uh, and more so on the large enterprise. Um, and uh, I think the, the most telling thing about the, the situation where we find ourselves today is that there is now an acceptance that there is, um, I'm not going to say a problem, um, but an opportunity um, and an acceptance that customers want to be engaged with in a different way. And um, say from um, sort of a, a basic selling point of view, if you're out there and you're trying to sell something, if the customer doesn't need or doesn't think they need um, uh, or they don't have a problem, it's going to be incredibly hard to actually to sell anything. And I take away technology and you put any product or whatever in there, uh, it's the same uh, principle. And I think actually businesses now have slowly and especially large enterprise, um, they were sort of playing around the, the, the edges and may had an innovation team. Um, and that has absolutely moved into the mainstream. And I think what's happened over the past um, number of months with regards to the whole pandemic, pandemic situation, um, many of their traditional ways that people would engage with their customers has absolutely got turned on its head. And um, it has been a real telltale to say, actually, all of this um, conversational commerce, um, digital messaging, um, it, that is actually uh, really come to the fore in such a short space of time, nearly force fed the whole thing. So I think definitely businesses were coming to that fact, they had accepted it. Um, and I think that's then the tipping point. The minute large enterprise understand and accept that actually this will be the way forward. Um, uh, so I definitely think we're at that tipping point where we're going to see, uh, albeit has been slow, um, and as you said, back in 2016, people were talking about it. And Paul, as you quite rightly say, these things don't happen overnight. Um, but I, I would be amazed and surprised if six, nine, 12 months out, the landscape is not radically different um, because of the events. Uh, first off, the realization mm. that we need to do something. And then that catalyst for change regarding the uh, pandemic um, that I think we're going to be in a completely changed landscape um, uh, in the next uh, number of months. So does that mean apps are dead? Gosh, that's a great question. Um, this is my own personal view. Um, apps have been dead for me for a long time. Because I am, um, and I, I, I say that flippantly and with a smile on my face, um, because um, uh, the only apps I ever use are banking, um, airline, uh, and and travel. And let me see, and weather, the odd time. Uh, now, I probably have six different um, pages of apps, but I, I would very, very, very seldom use them. Uh, and again, when I'm engaging with um, very large enterprise and typically say in a retail space where you'd expect them to have an app, that everything was about the app three and four years ago. I think it's now just being viewed as, um, yes, it's just another way of interacting. It isn't this thing that will eat everything. It's 
Yes, they will have engagement on it. It is not the silver bullet to do away with contact centers, with agents and all those type of other things when you're talking about uh, engagement with customers. So are they gone? Uh, as I say, I would see we're, and I think, Paul, you have said this before, we're in the post-app era now. And I think that that is only going to accelerate with the likes of WhatsApp, the likes of OCS, Apple Business Chat, all of those things that are natively nearly on your phone, that you're in two and three hours a day, having another interaction on WhatsApp with a business or OCS or Apple Business Chat is going to be much more commonplace than going, finding the app, getting into it, doing whatever you need to do. So if you were to ask me, and where would I put my money? I definitely wouldn't be putting it on you know, apps going forward. Follow where people spend their time, right? Where, where are people spend Absolutely, their time? Paul. You're, you're on the money there. So what's a typical interaction look like for a customer? Interesting question. We cover quite a range of uh, different interactions. Um, everything from customer service uh, to um, the whole financial services arena, credit collections, payments, even all the way up to, say, complaints. So it's, if you were to look at a customer journey for a, a, any enterprise, any large, and if I was to categorize, where would our really on-target clients be? That would be large B2C organizations. Those organizations would be probably in the hundreds of millions of turnover. They're going to have a lot of customers, probably half a million, if not a million and more. So there's a lot of interaction needed. There's a lot of management of that. If you look at that journey, everything from the maybe before they buy a product, uh, when they buy a product, then they need to pay for the product, then it needs to be delivered if there's an issue with it. So if you look at all of that journey, that's where all those interaction points would be where Webio and what we do would be sort of coming to the fore. One of the things that we see, and, and I think the, the value of conversational digital messaging is the ability to automate and to be able to give customers the answers that they want quickly, any time of the day, and when they want to engage with you. So rather than saying our contact center is open between eight and six or eight between eight, the beauty about what companies are seeing now and the real benefit is that the whole power of automation is really starting to come to the fore. Now, we've all heard and saw lots of, uh, should we say, hot air, I'll, I'll call it for a moment, uh, talked about um, chatbots, AI, all these type of things going back a number of years. I think we're now really seeing that being bedded down people getting the you know best practice it absolutely working for companies and working both for companies and more importantly working for the customer because i think initially there had been some you know not so great customer experience stories where where the implementations weren't as good so again it's getting better all the time and i think we're now at a point where it works both for the business really well but also and as importantly um it works for the customer because I, I have a simple mantra um, uh, if it's easy, people will use it. Um, and trying to get that across to customers in the design of a conversational flow of how you want to engage with customers, um, you know, make it easy for them. And then don't be surprised when you make it easy. Um, gosh, they'll use this over and over. So that, that would be where uh, I would see where we are at this moment. 
You should trademark that. Well, that's, a, that's great. If it's easy, they'll use it. In fact, I've already trademarked it too late. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes we do, actually, we try to complicate stuff that actually doesn't need to be complicated. Couldn't agree more. So from a conversational perspective, what's the biggest challenge that you guys find when dealing with clients or customers? Good question. I'll tell you the biggest challenge is a fear of change mm. uh, for a lot of companies. This is where uh, sometimes the marketing and the facade of businesses gives the public the wrong impression of them. Change is difficult for large business. Most businesses, there's some level of regulation. Most businesses, um, you know, change is a big process, especially when you're coming to talk about engaging and something to do with your customers, because invariably there is a long list of different things that you can do and also even a longer list of stuff that you can't do. So um, we find when we're engaging with customers initially, it's nearly the status quo, if it ain't broken, don't fix it type thing. Uh, now, thankfully, customers are coming around to the realization, as I said earlier, that actually this does need to change, but being able to help them go on that journey. I've mentioned automation earlier, a number of times when I've started a conversation, you just see the fear, you know, their faces would go white when you talk about automation. Then when you slowly uh, bring them through and nearly wrap the comfort blanket around them, give them examples, maybe show uh, how other companies do it. Actually, uh, it then, uh, so I would think the biggest challenge is for companies is a number of things internal, both from a compliance point of view, from a legal point of view, from a regulation point of view. So there are natural inhibitors for them to be able to adopt this and adopt this quickly. That would be where I would see it from, let's say it views from the front line of engaging with um, large enterprise executives at that level. Um, you know, much that people want to do stuff, but nearly the mind is willing, the body is weak because it does take a whole uh, plethora of people to deliver a project like that. And there is just natural uh, slowness built in to um, uh, doing something in a large enterprise. So for me, that would be a, um, uh, my observation. So in terms of return on investment, what can you tell me about that? But at some point, CFO is going to say, great, that's amazing. It's going down this route and we're into this conversational world. Uh, yeah. Return on investment. Great question. And that is one that we love um, because two things before uh, I answer that. It, sometimes when we talk about technology, um, people want to talk about technology. And invariably, I nearly stop them in the tracks at that stage. They stop. What's the business requirement that you're actually trying to uh, address? And then secondly, what are the current metrics of the process? Now, sometimes that's a challenge for people because for me and for a business, any technology business, anybody nearly offering any new product or service, if you can't prove that you're going to deliver value, don't expect to have that customer uh, for, for that long. So return on investment is something that we absolutely focus in on. And we talk about metrics at every stage. And it's built into what we do from even right from the initial uh, conversations, from building implementations, all the things would be about capturing what the current metrics are 
And then obviously we would have a very good idea of the metrics that we would be able to deliver. And that's something I mentioned earlier about that sort of comfort blanket. When you can actually share real metrics with people, for example, large UK utility that that they had uh, in their their customer engagement around the accounts and overdue accounts the process that they had previously was just sort of a simple outbound blast message and hoping customers would come back in maybe pick up the phone or ring them or whatever the case may be by opening up the whole conversational channel uh, to them. And this started actually very simply in SMS. They've since moved on to uh, WhatsApp. But that simple engagement was something that they were looking at. They had a 7% engagement prior to us getting involved. That 7% went to 36% engagement. So it just revolutionized. There are other metrics where clients trying to engage with customers and uh, by adding a new channel, by adding the digital messaging, digital conversations, 50% of the cohort of people that they failed to engage with from ringing them, sending them emails, trying to get them onto their website, 50% of those people actually engaged over the new digital conversations channel. So there's many, many different metrics like that. So, uh, and that's something that helps us, should we say, sell the story because technology on its own is great, but if it's not going to, you know, businesses buy benefits. So you have to be able to go and this is what it means to you. And hopefully, you know, we're able to have that metric to be able to say, like I said there, the engagement rate will go up from seven to 36. Sure you'll re-engage. So metrics and the benefits are something that's very close to our hearts. Yeah, metrics matter for sure. Paul, I've got a question for you. What is your favorite outside of your job? So you can't name a client or your own. What's your favorite bot or skill and why? Yeah, I had a, th- I had a thought about this and I want to be absolutely honest with you. My favorite bot is um, Gmail's reply. Um, and you might go, that's a strange choice, but it's something I use every single day at my computer. I'm responding to, can you make that meeting? Can we get that call later? Are you still on for that meeting or whatever? And it's getting so good that I can just reply with the, the automated reply function. It just kind of keeps me focused on where the future is and how boring it's going to seem. And I say boring in a, in a considered fashion, because when this stuff is really working efficiently, it's going to seem boring. It's not going to be that exciting. It's going to be, um, yeah, that's how I, that's how you should be able to do things. These days you go to your car and like the higher end, even medium to higher end cars don't have a key anymore. You go to, um, go to a building, you maybe don't have a card anymore. Maybe you could just talk or, uh, or, or speak to the access controls and it lets you into the building, it IDs you. It's not going to seem that kind of, oh, my God, this is like Star Trek. It's just going to seem like everyday stuff that happens. And that's what I like about the Gmail example. It's, most people wouldn't even consider that to be AI, conversational and bots. But that's exactly what it is. And it's educating everybody as to um, what's possible with that stuff. The second thing um, that I find, it, it's, it's not even conversational. It's just tech. I was thinking 
what tech really has impressed me by how just amazing it is and it's chromecast and i go well chromecast what the hell well if you think about it you've got these sometimes legacy screens they're old screens in your house um you stick in a, a 30 euro low cost uh, fandango there at the back you go to your ipad or desktop uh, or laptop computer phone and you just automatically finds the device it automatically finds the network it automatically connects you and hey presto i mean it is it is a magical technology experience it's the it's it was just amazing to me to see and that reminds me that it's the connections that can make the easy connections that can make things so powerful it's not a hugely expensive technology chromecast but yet it connects all the legacy devices around me it gives me these amazing um, media experiences and it 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 kind of feels like a, a freedom in some way um and now it's just regular business in our house you know we can all connect to chromecast to to, to either play our netflix these days or uh, it's mostly netflix but disney channel and all the other things as well so i i love those two things as like really low cost but everyday examples that we're using every day that kind of exemplify the, the themes and principles, I think, that are going to make solutions successful in the future. I think the word Fandango in a podcast about conversational AI is amazing, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. <laughs> well inserted. I've never heard that before. That's brilliant. I'm going to use that tomorrow. <laughs> uh, what about voice, guys? Anything, anything that's impressed you on the voice side in particular? Voice is a... Voice is a... Is a it's a weird one. Um, what's in terms of like what what's impressive? I'm I'm kind of I'm not I'm not overly impressed with all the stuff that's happened in voice because um, I'm I'm just I I think what's impressive is again I, I used to have a, a background in in telcos and so some of the things and and also in marketing and so sometimes I kind of like the behavior changes and, and tracking those things and. I, I think you know now we uh, it's a really old gesture but just saying hey device um call mr opperman and it knows mr opperman it calls the device and that's a nice instruction so just being able to tell and he, and he drops in at the most inappropriate time let me tell you <laughs> i can imagine <laughs> uh, but it, it's i think what's going to end up being empower and powerful is the is the enablement from the front end of of the phone or device wherever you are and it understanding that, that i need you to use google assistant or siri or alexa on your phone and that mobile assistant i think is going to be much more powerful moving forward in the next five years i know we have speakers everywhere um i i know that we've like a 30 35 percent penetration rate in the us for that now which would have which is an incredible quick penetration rate but we're not seeing it evolve past certain steps now in terms of we we're using it for media um we're, and even just particular types of media some home home automation stuff some games some education and it's kind of just another device um and i i think that the thing that struck me last year was that voice is going to abstract itself out of just being in a speaker or out of a phone or out of a device and it's just a 
another channel. Uh, voice will be voice through browser, voice through device, voice. It is a, it's cross everything. It is the omni-channel access route. And the problem isn't the voice tech. It's not, it's not the tech per se. It's that I think the discovery of the services, how we experience them, hasn't quite clicked for a broad adoption case. And just to go back to what Mark was saying about adoption of services, the, the, the difficulty for companies is they see it and they go, yeah, this could be huge. We've got to get on board in some way, but they don't know how. So they get into these kind of abstract concepts around how our services will be delivered over these new interfaces and how it will all work. Whereas actually, if they just got started on something defined with discrete outcomes, with measurable outcomes, um, they'd learn a lot faster because there's metrics involved and feedback loops all the way. So when we're working with people, we give them a defined context. We say, look, this is the defined context in which you're operating with this customer. You pick a process, investigate the, pro the context, and then make the conversational tech work in that context for that outcome. And once that works and you get an ROI on it, you go, okay, that, that was, you know, very good learning experience. We know a lot more about it now. We got benefit. So we're going to get budget to continue with this exploration. I think that's the key thing about all the conversational tech. You've got to be defined about the processes that you're focused on and understand that whatever you're doing is going to be competing with existing technologies and competing substitute technologies. And it's not just about making your bit, your technology just that little bit better. It's, it's got a context, again, a wider context for adoption, which is why would I spend money on a sophisticated lead capturing process using conversational tech and skills and being across all these platforms, when if I spent the same amount of money on like Google Ads, I get a much higher return. So in a way, one lead capture mechanism is competing with another lead capture mechanism. And it's the same in customer service. So I think that from a, a, a technology and a, a background of conversational technology business, we've got to be cognizant of that we don't exist in isolation to all existing technologies and all competing technologies. And if you think about that in a really like pragmatic way, you stand a much better chance of being successful with the adoption of your technology. Um, so all the things about uh, stuff that had genuinely impressed me about uh, about voice technologies, pretty much about it, it's about the biometrics end of it, about the recognizing who you are, the identification of you, the identification of multiple people in a room, understanding who's speaking when. Uh, that stuff is kind of deep technology. It's it, it's going to allow a, a lot more use cases to develop going forward. So I, I think the technology stack in itself is very impressive in voice. I think where it's falling down is, is in the deployment and the adoption and in the kind of uh, framing of the projects that you want to get involved in. Controversial, I love it. I like hearing the other side of that. So interesting answer in terms of um, in the hype cycle that kind of, if you call chat the utility, which was now a useful um, piece of your arsenal, voiced um, to a lot of people it still seems like it's um, it's looking for a use case to follow on that point um i i i love the kind of fact that um I, I the older you get the more you can look back right so if you look back 10 15 years at 
the uh, I think it's been only ten years since kind of the social revolution started with Twitter, Facebook, right? And you go back to those days and you think, what was the buzz about? And the buzz wasn't about Facebook. That was just one company using these social mechanisms and these social interactions. There was a whole range of things that could be possible if we were all able to find other people and collaborate and buy and source and fix. There was a whole range of things that could be done. And it narrowed down very quickly within four years to actually all this stuff is happening over Twitter and Facebook and all the other social things that could be done kind of died away a little bit. And now we think about social as these platforms. With voice, we're kind of fixated a little bit on the speakers and we're fixated on what they can do. And I think that 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 framing kind of stops us understanding what else can happen in that space. The idea that you know, we're going to book an airline ticket entirely through Alexa. Maybe that's not what's going to happen. Mm. But the, the conversational stack of technologies might make you be able to call or talk to somebody in a call center or somewhere else and go, I speak English, they speak another language or vice versa. And that capability transforms the way interactions work. It's like, it doesn't really matter that we, we don't have a person who speaks Polish. We, we have a, a system that can help you understand what they're saying and what they're, what they're saying you can understand. And maybe that's the huge transformation. And it, it reminds me of a, an old telco example, which was uh, back in 2000, you might say, uh, and it was said that fiber would make you be able to get like films delivered very quickly. So you'd be able to get films delivered to your home, um, streaming high-def TV, on-demand movies. That's where the future was. That's why you should have it. And that's going to be the revolution. But actually, the revolution in broadband was that you and I, and now everyone else, can work from home. Uh, the revolution was that now that we're working from home, we spend less time commuting and more time with our families. And maybe because we're spending more time with our families, I get to walk my kid to school. They get the feeling of their dad dropping them to school and our relationship changes. So often when you get a huge platform change like the introduction of fiber or the introduction of AI or the introduction of conversational AI, the benefit that everyone's focused on at the beginning isn't actually the revolution that happens. So you can, you can get target fixated on the, the use cases that are put in front of you and get distracted from how this might change a lot of other things. And that's, I think we're entering into this phase of what could change into the future if this, uh, if this goes the way we think it's going to go. But as a company, Webio is very focused on, yes, but to get there, you've got to get benefits today. You've, you've got to be able to see and play with this stuff and learn how it's going to work for you and how it's going to deliver benefits. And once you're on that journey, you stand a better chance of being ready for that future because you're experiencing, oh, I didn't know it was that easy. Oh, I didn't know that's what could happen. Oh, um, just to give you one example that might seem banal, but uh, one of our companies, uh, one of our clients is using conversational forms for the first time mm -hmm. in at in a messaging conversation and they're able to take half an hour of agent time off one particular task 
So yeah, half an hour, like, and they're just going, what's that? There's like, we do like a hundred of these a day. That's, that's huge. So I had no understanding that that's what we were going to do with it, but this is now what we're doing with it. And if we can add more things and figure out more ways of using it, we're going to drive these benefits out. So I think, yes, uh, one of the reasons that we started ConverCon, the, the conversational interface conference, is on the one hand, there is a shiny new future potential here, a whole kind of platform change in conversational AI and AI-driven business. And on the other side, we've got to have this really practical focus about what works in reality. Um, again, as Grant was saying in the last episode about intent management, managing intent, managing how we're fitting conversations. Are we capturing the right context? Are we sharing the right? All this stuff is the micromanagement you've got to do of a conversational um, implementation to make it work for you in your real world context. So we wanted to share all that experience and accelerate the learning of the whole industry. And the only way you can do that is by, by driving out the honesty and saying, hey guys, that stuff isn't working. Let's talk about it. Or these use cases aren't delivering outcomes. Let's talk about it. And we found that uh, very interesting. And I, I think that's why it was, uh, we're very grateful that it was named one of the, the top eight conferences in the world in this space. And it's tiny, it's a small conference. Yeah. Just on that point, um, Paul, I think when you said about the, um, you know, voice, I think it will need to bring in a number to really get it to explode in usage. You gave a great example there of uh, booking a, say, a train ticket or a, or a plane ticket. But actually, it won't be, and I come back to make it easy for people to use, and they'll use it lots. But if it was to be able to integrate maybe uh, WhatsApp or RCS on your phone that you all of a sudden, it will send you a payment request to your phone, you know, face recognition, the payment goes through. And then also then you have the uh, barcode popping up on your, on your phone as well. So that linking of different channels, I think will, uh, because on its own voice, I think it, 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 there's something extra that's needed to really get it to um, mass market adoption. So that would be just my add on to uh, what you're saying there. I think, uh, you know, I don't think there's any doubt right now that the, the core area that's adopting conversational AI is contact centers and customer care. And their number one concern is their costs of inbound voice and outbound voice. And if your conversational AI voice technology can help them do their job better or reduce the loads on their job, I think you'd, you'd find a, an early market for that stuff. Um, so I think contact centers, customer contact that uses conversational AI and uses voice tech and can integrate with their other systems and their existing telephony systems, I think they will find early traction as well. Yeah, agreed. Interesting stuff, chaps. So what's next on the roadmap for you guys business-wise? Where, where, what's the direction of travel? I'm going to say uh, world domination, but uh, <laughs> I'll let I, Paul give actually the real answer. Well, uh, you, so. you know, it, you're not far from the truth, Mark, in, in that, it, it, again, it isn't per se the technology that's the challenge. It's uh, getting it into companies, making it work. So, you know, the future is still about adoption. It's still about helping companies get benefit from this and anything you can do to make that easier for them. Uh, that's on the roadmap. So simplicity is on the roadmap, making things easier to use, easier to integrate. 
they are definitely going to be the dominant thing that we try and do. I, I think specula speculating um, into the future, I, I think to link to Mark's point earlier about um, a changing world, we're definitely going to see a different world post-coronavirus. Mm. Uh, people have experienced working from home, albeit in a crisis, but I think the benefits that people are going to see are, are I spoke to a couple of CTOs last week of pretty decent sized technology companies and they're closing offices. Like they are closing offices, no doubt about it. They've made up their mind. People have been working from home for a month or two. They prefer it. They don't need that office space and they don't need that cost. So they're going to lose that. They're going to lose those, those offices. To do that, I think we need to have more, um, I, I think we're going to have more video conferencing. We're going to have more co video conferencing across the board, video chat across the board with everything that we do. And that means more, <laughs> it means more, more video tech is going to be in the future. Um, I think you're going to see oh, more use cases. I think that that's going to be next. Um, you might see more voice and facial recognition being used as kind of logins and security, trying to secure endpoints a little bit more. Um, I think you will see an example of um, uh, the technology not like, you know, that old one about if technology is really good, it's, it disappears. It, you, if you think about it, we're all working now massively distributed. What's going to happen is we're going to understand, hold a second, does everyone need to be working full-time? Does everybody need to be in Ireland or the UK? Can they not be in Croatia? Can they not be coming in from, um, from New Zealand and Australia? If there's a really good NLP programmer in Chile, can't, can't we be using them? And so I think what we're going to see is the next level of, of these systems is going to be not about the, does it understand our voice and does it understand the phrasing and the conversational terms? I think that stuff is going to roll ahead and just get better and better. I think the effects are going to be once we understand how this technology works, we're going to start working differently or we're going to accelerate the trends that were marginal before those marginal cases will now move to the center and that's going to be more and more how we work and i think the problems and challenges that that throws up are going to be the interesting things to think about so last question to both of you i'm going to go with mark first how do you create a conversation worth millions gosh that's an interesting one make it useful both to the business and the customer and make it easy. So rather than giving you a long-winded answer, if you can deliver benefit uh, to both the customer from a great customer experience, the business, they're always interested in, in efficiency. So if you can do that and do it simply, do it at scale and from a provider like ourselves, be able to do it at low cost, that's your recipe for the value in the millions and probably um, you know, done well um, it could even get into the billions. So probably not a very long answer, but uh, <laughs> to the point. Sure, it isn't a problem. Paul, how about you? Uh, I'm actually going to just repeat Mark's comment slightly differently, which is I believe you'll make billions by having the right level of conversational fidelity. And that is the level that you, if it's an 
boring transaction that it comes across as the boring transaction just as you want it. Like I don't want a big long conversation with my bank about a transfer, but if it can happen really simply and easily, it's, that's the right level of conversational fidelity for that context. Um, so I think you make billions by figuring out the right level of conversational fidelity to that context. And the second thing I would say is when your conversations become almost boring, I think you're going to make a lot of money. Um, it just, it's not magic. It's, you're, you're not high risk. It's the boring things done very, very well that are going to make billion dollar conversations. And if that's a, how do I um, pay my bill? How do I find out how much I owe on my bill? Can I reschedule how I want to pay this bill? Everyone has this process. Everyone's trying to figure out how to do this better. It may not be the most glamorous thing in the world to be working on, but every company does it and every, every customer interacts with it. And these kind of regular everyday Gmail type conversations are where you're going to make the, the big, big bucks, we think. I've just changed the name of the podcast to Conversations Worth Billions, by the way, as we've been talking. <laughs> <laughs> That's Great. just the optimistic nature that we have. Uh, so there we go. Well, look, thanks very much, both of you. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Mark, for joining. I'm sure listeners will, have, will find all the insights fascinating, really interesting. Thanks for being very open and sharing your expertise. It's been brilliant. Thanks for having us, Roy. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening. This has been the Conversations Worth Millions podcast from Synthetic Agency. For more information about conversational AI, design, emerging technology, head over to syntheticagency.co.